Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to a, a special episode of the Coach Replay Show. I'm really excited to be taking over the Coach Replay Show today. My name is TJ Hoffman. I'm the Chief Operating Officer at Sydney, uh, a, a, a sometimes guest on the Coach Replay Show, and a big fan of today's special guest. So we're flipping the script today on the Coach Replay Show. It's going to be a lot of fun, um, and we're actually having our host, Corey Camp, join us as our special guest on the Coach Replay Show. Uh, so I don't think Corey needs a lot of introduction. Everybody knows who she is. She is our Director of, of Professional Learning here at Sydney, an outstanding learning facilitator, um, a broad background in a bunch of different uh, areas in education and coaching. And Corey is going to be talking to us today about a, a new learning experience that she is making available to schools and coaches around the country. So without further ado, uh, it gives me great pleasure to introduce our wonderful guest today, Corey Camp. Hey, TJ. This is a How's very warm feeling over here, <laughs> sitting in the backstage, <laughs> listening to someone talk about you while you're there. Um, yeah, it's, it's going good. I'm really excited to be on today talking a little bit about this experience that we've designed and had a, the opportunity to facilitate several times already this year. And I've already got a laundry list of ideas for continuing to make it even better into next year. And so uh, this, this conversation's kind of good timing because uh, we're wrapping up a few of these experiences and, and in that kind of refinement mode, so. Yeah, And I mean, just to, just to sort of level set expectations, what Corey and I are going to talk about today is a part of our new coaching cohort, something that Sydney is offering to schools. Uh, but uh, these are ideas, these are structures that really we think about uh, when we think about the training and development of coaches, um, what are the sorts of things that can be a part of that experience that maybe aren't always a part of a lot of the support that coaches receive. Corey, you and I have both been coaches before. Uh, we've both worked in school districts and in campuses, working directly with teachers as instructional coaches. And I know that my experience, a lot of the work that I got when I was being trained to be a coach through some excellent coaching protocols, uh, but a lot of that was, uh, was a certain process designed to work through a certain relationship between an instructional coach and a teacher. And sometimes that's not exactly the way things work. And so today we're going to talk about some different concepts, some different topics that maybe need to be addressed in the coaching of teachers. So if you're watching this and you have questions about the support that you receive as a coach or the support that you provide as a coach, um, you know, Corey's got some great ideas about that. And I think that we can really dive deep into those. So if you have questions, uh, be sure to uh, be sure to ask them in the comments below. Um, so go ahead and like, comment and subscribe to our channel so that you can stay up to date on all these wonderful conversations that we have regarding the Coach Replay Show. Um, but also put your comments right here. And uh, as we're having this conversation, uh, we'll I'll be sure to ask those questions as well. But Corey, why don't we dive in and talk about sort of that first concept, the thing that um, that you and I recognize is at the 
the center of a lot of coach work. I know when I first started learning to be a coach, uh, the work that I learned to begin with was observation and feedback. Go into the classroom, watch the teacher teach, and then provide them with a post-observation experience. Um, You know, I did some blended asynchronous stuff, but it's often come in after you've watched them, give them feedback, how to give effective feedback. There's a lot of great tools around that. But Corey, you think that there's something that must take place before that takes place. So why don't you talk a little bit about um, another tool that coaches can put into their toolbox uh, that maybe takes them out of the conversation a little bit before they get into that cycle of observation and feedback. Yeah, and it's really something that um, it's before, it's during, it's after, it's kind of inclusive of of every stage of that ex- the coaching experience, if we're just talking about the coaching, but it also lends itself into team collaboration or PLCs that might be facilitated. And that really is the power of reflection and how to build that reflective capacity. That's one big thing that the cohort experience um, that we've designed, that's one of the core tenets. It's one of the core pillars in um, our study and practice of our coaching with the individuals or teams that we're working with is how do we identify the reflective tendencies of the individuals we're working with so that way we can meet them right where they are. Allison Burnett, our director of uh, virtual learning has come on the show before and talked about like the zone of proximal development and thinking about that learning zone. And that's really what we do a lot of study through. And we use uh, a continuum that uh, authors Pete Hall and Elisa Simral have developed over their study and work with educators and reflection. And and that's the continuum of self-reflection. We've got some individuals who their reflective tendencies are more in that unaware stage. They rarely reflect, but only if prompted typically, like when someone comes in their classroom or when a question's kind of asked directly of them. Um, They don't know what they don't know just yet, or they just aren't aware of some of the not just the practices that might need some improvement in their rooms, but also the good practices. Um, And then we've got our conscious stage individuals who there's this big knowing doing gap. And we see a lot of, a lot of educators who kind of are stuck there. They've been to a session, they've, they've, got a good understanding, they can name something like differentiation, but they're really struggling in implementing those strategies into their instruction. They know small group instruction is going to be one of the best ways to meet the needs of their students and impact achievement. However, they're just not sure how to get started or they've tried it before, it didn't go well, so they reverted back to that comfort zone. And then we've got our aware stage teachers and our reflective um, teachers, our refinement stage teachers. And this continuum is one of the things that we focus a lot on because it's it's always been my belief that if when I coach a teacher, I don't build or strengthen their own ability to reflect, then I haven't made much of a lasting impact. We might have created a really great lesson or I've taught a, a, a great strategy with that teacher and um, have supported them in implementing it. But then I'm going to be right back in there the next week, the next lesson, the next month, helping them 
do it again in another context. Because the moment that the context changes, that teacher goes back to that comfort zone because we didn't expand their ability to reflect. We know that reflection is important in the classroom and it's just as important for our professional learning. It's, it's where I stop doing the heavy lifting and I really help build that muscle with my teachers so that they can really become chain res change resilient, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the group of students or the content, they're going to be able to be good critical consumers and be able to pull the right tool out of their bag and implement that. Um, they may still need some help, but they're going to be more aware throughout that. So coaching is so much more than just observations and feedback. It's really this process that should be anchored in reflection and then differentiated based on that individual's needs and their reflective capacity. Yeah, and I think, you know, you bring up a really important point, um, and I love Pete and Elisa's uh, continuum as a tool to accomplish this, but, you know, a lot of the coaches that I know are themselves pretty reflective individuals. They're very, mm -hmm. uh, they're always thinking about what they're doing and that sort of stuff. Um, they would definitely fall further along on that continuum in their work. And I, we've talked to, you know, thousands of educators who all agree it's, it's important to, as, uh, as, uh, as, as Pete and Alyssa say in their book, you know, like a reflective teacher is an effective teacher. It's important for teachers to be effective. We want our teachers to be self-reflective. So yes, we should have self-reflection, but we see time and time again that there is a disconnect between people who already have that skill. They know how to be reflective and people who want to be reflective, but don't necessarily have the skills and the and the understanding in how to accomplish that. So it sounds like you know one of the things that it's important to do for coaches is provide them with some strategies that build capacity for reflection amongst people who might be really hardworking, might be incredibly conscientious, mm -hmm. might be able to use all of the language in the Danielson framework really, really effectively. But because they're not, uh, they're not, they don't know how to reflect on those things. They may have misdefined things. There may be a misunderstanding about this, and that is uh, that's a really dangerous territory to chart into. If you're then going to go into classrooms and start looking at instruction and discussing instruction and begin with that evidence, if you're not really sure that you and the person you're talking to are defining terms the same way and really mm -hmm. understand it and are thinking about application, there's a chance for some real dangerous conversations in those uh, down that path, right? Because then you say, well, that's not what I meant. And, you know, that's where things mm -hmm. really get messy. Yeah. And, and it, it's also difficult to have those conversations. Like if I have assumed that a teacher you know, maybe isn't aware of this particular practice. And so then I go and I start from square one and, you know, this is how you, this is what differentiation means. And I'm, I'm kind of teaching them something they already know. They've got the learn, they've got the knowledge. They just have not had the opportunity to implement it and study together. Um, then I can lose some credibility as a coach with them because they're like, I, you know, I didn't get anything new from that experience or they talked at me and not with me. And um, so being able to identify where a teacher's reflective tendencies are and be able to uncover their thinking then helps us be better at 
observation and feedback and supporting our teachers. And so a lot of what the cohort focuses on is that feedback that prompts reflection, but prompts it at the right level, right? If I'm working with an unaware stage teachers, how do I help them start to see the problem from different angles and really from where it is, as opposed to just a narrow generic view of the problem? What are some key um, ways that I can help that teacher versus a teacher who's in the refinement stage, who's highly reflective, reflecting all the time. How, how do I support them as a coach? Where do I come in? They're already reflecting. So what can I do to scale their impact and build their capacity and maybe help them find a, a platform to be a leader on the campus and then use them as part of my tiers of support with other teachers, maybe you know, team them up with another teacher. So really thinking about based off of that, that build, how we're building that reflective capacity, taking a differentiated approach to how we do that. And one of the things that can be differentiated in that is maybe that they work with a peer or that I do something specific with them, give them a specific task in our team learning experience. So diving into some of those key coach moves, not so much the, I've got a teacher who's focusing on engagement. What's the best tool for that? I think there's plenty of content out um, out in the world for us to focus on some of those big, Allison calls them the the, the big five that we focus on. We've got lots of great resources. But again, if I can't help teachers reflect and think about when is the best time to use that or to consider that strategy and for the students that I have this year, not last year's students or the years before, but this group of students, if I'm not giving them that opportunity and that voice and, and choice and building that with them, then I'm not building their capacity. And again, I have great job security until someone starts realizing that the impact I'm making is not making much of a difference. I'm not living up to the promise of coaching. And then that job security is kind of out the window. So really thinking about what are some different ways that not just me as a coach, but also I can think about the other systems of supports in the building that we can support teachers based off of where they are and how, how fast or slow they might be moving through a continuum. So that's, I mean, that's another thing that, um, that I think is really interesting that we could, um, that I think is an important part of the cohort experience and also something that I know I struggled with when I was uh, being trained to be a coach is there's a lot of conversation about the relationship between the coach and the teacher. Here's how to facilitate a good coaching conversation. Here's how to have influence without authority. Here's how to do all those sorts of things. But an instructional coach exists within a system, as you sort of pointed out, where you can really start to leverage other people in a relationship to have a better network and system of support around teachers that empowers teachers, works with school leaders and is bringing in outsiders and is really providing that uh, continuity of support. Uh, I used to call this, uh, the coach is the traffic cop, you know, like knowing when to say, no, you don't need to come in and yeah, mm -hmm. I need your help. Um, and, and being able to sort of curate those people and their access to a supported teacher as opposed to just saying, well, this teacher needs help with this, everybody pile on, that can sometimes be challenging. But also knowing when to bring an administrator in and not when to bring an administrator in. So how does this experience help a coach 
learn their role within a system of support for teachers. Yeah, it's one of the um, unanticipated deep threads of the cohort. When we first designed and, and ran our first cohort, it was a, a one of the foundational parts that I didn't realize how widespread the lack of clear roles and responsibilities of coaches and other instructional leaders really was. I remember it was that way in my district. I was a, a teacher leader and had some coaching responsibilities. That was pretty clear at that level. But as I rose up through the campus and then later moved to a coordinator position in my district as a special education coordinator, sometimes I would also be called the special education coach. And I would be called out only for working with special education teachers. If they were a self-contained teacher, they'd say, oh, nope, don't talk to the campus coach. Talk to Corey. She's your coach. And there was a very clear disconnect because that really wasn't my purpose. I was, as a special education coordinator and in inclusive practices, it was the specially designed instruction piece that I really got to come in and coach with. And I should be working alongside the gen ed campus coach to make sure that there's that alignment to the general curriculum. And so I remember long ago, 10, 12 years ago, going, okay, we I need to find a better way to make sure that one, my understanding of what my role is as, as a coach is clear and that that's clear with my supervisors and then making sure that everybody else at every level that I would work with also knew that. And this is something that I hear a lot from coaches. Some coaches who have come into our cohort or or we've, we've had everyone from teacher leaders all the way to assistant superintendents participate in our cohorts have said, you know, we really haven't clearly defined what that is and how that works alongside the instructional leadership support that like our campus administrators also have, or we know, we my principal and I know what my role is, but my teachers seem to be very confused um, about it. So how do we, one, clarify those roles so that way we can work in complementary ways and in unison and concert together, as well as how do we communicate that? And so that was one of those that was just meant to be kind of week two thing that has continued to be a conversation and different ways for folks to think about but it also opened up, again, this idea that a lot of folks who are coaches also usually have wear the hat of doing some kind of team or campus level PD facilitation or leadership or, you know, data analysis. They wear other hats outside of that one-on-one -on -one relationship with teachers. But then also the fact that a, I can be a really amazing coach, but if I'm working super hard all by myself and I'm not in alignment with my campus administrator and with the other team leaders who are facilitating those PDs, then my work is exhausting and it's not getting far. I'm going to be spinning my wheels. So really thinking about stepping out from that one-on-one -on -one cycle and looking at the other systems of support that are that exist on the campus and even maybe being a part of strengthening some of those so they all are in alignment. And that's better for not just our coaches, but also our teachers who often feel like they're being pulled from one priority or initiative to another. And I'm being asked to do this in my in my PLC, but then you want me to do this with you as a coach. If we can help them see the connection and align those two things, then we're really able to do a lot more with less. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, I'd be very interested to hear people to, you know, comment below and tell us if you're an instructional coach, um, it, does that resonate with you? Does that idea that, you know, I have, I kind of know what my job duties are, but, but maybe there's not a, a certain amount of clarity um, from, from who I am, both within the context of a campus, if I'm working across many campuses, what my role is within those campuses. Um, I, I'd be curious to hear if people resonate with that. I know I certainly did um, in a couple of different roles that I had where I really never had clarity um, or communicated clarity as to what do I do and what do I bring other people in to do. Um, and again, a lot of instructional coaches, really effective people, they just think, well, this job needs to be done. I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. And don't take the time to think this job needs to be done, but it's also that person over there's job. So let me make them do it. Let me bring them into this conversation. Um, you, you talked about sort of that triangle of support mm-hmm. around the teacher um, uh, when we were planning earlier, but um, let me bring someone else in so that then I can focus on this other thing that really is going to be something that only I can do that no one else can be a part of that conversation. Yeah. In, in our anchor text, which is by Pete Hall and Lisa Simmeral, we, one of my favorite quotes is if it takes a village to raise a child, it takes a schoolhouse to raise a teacher and really thinking about like it, it can't all rest on one person's shoulders. And we, we do have to work complementary, right. In those roles together. But a lot of times it's difficult to do that because we don't really have a clear understanding of why we have this person and how do I ask for help from that person? And, and what is it going to look like whenever I reach out to my coach? A lot of times as coaches, we are put in um, that deficit mode, right? That triage mode. These teachers need immediate support because they're either new or their, their data is showing that they are struggling and go work with them. And then I don't have time to work with the other teachers who would love the opportunity to collaborate and benefit from maybe a light coaching cycle or the opportunity just to have a quick session with a coach. I don't get that opportunity because folks see me as the person who swoops in whenever there's a problem. Right. And so again, clarifying those roles and responsibilities and making sure we've got clear ways that we've communicated that and can even enroll folks in our coaching. So they know how to reach out if, yeah, you want to think about a different tool or a different way to facilitate that poetry unit. Um, you know, give me a shout. I'm here just to collaborate with you if you need to. And if you want me to watch a lesson or give you feedback, that can happen too, right? So really identifying those. And, and again, it's something that seems to excite a lot of our cohort participants because they haven't had much opportunity to think out loud about that, right? They're just kind of going off the basic job description or what the, the previous individuals have done or what their understanding is of a coach and they're not, they are realizing that that's not in alignment with everyone else. So, yeah. Well, we have a, a few minutes left uh, before, uh, before the end of the episode, but I do want to dive into a conversation that I know that you and I both are really, really passionate about. Um, and it's something that I think you've designed excellently within the context of this cohort experience for schools. I think it's a great model for a lot of schools who are thinking about professional learning uh, in this new world that we live in. Uh, you know, over the last year, I've seen PD has basically all just been thrown online and 
uh, and become a fully virtual experience. And both in terms of learning for kids and in terms of learning for adults, thinking about the coming school year and the future beyond the coming school year as this pandemic lightens up and we start to return to a more open way of interacting with one another, um, there's a lot of conversation about, well, do we stay online? Do we go in person? Uh, and I think a lot of the conversation is, um, is, is just kind of binary. It's one or the other. We're either going to stay in person or stay online or go in person. There's no in between. Something that you and I care a lot about and that you've done an excellent job is really creating a blended experience. So this, this cohort is fully online. It's a fully virtual experience. But uh, you and I would argue, uh, maybe against the grain from a lot of the common definitions of learning, but that it is very much a blended virtual experience. So talk about what you mean by blended learning that takes place entirely online. Yeah, um, I'm pretty passionate about this. In fact, uh, in in another role in, an, in another organization, this I was a digital innovation specialist and that I, how did I move from special education into digital innovation? It was not because I used a lot of tools and and was really good with Kahoot. It was because I uh, used a similar approach in my own classroom to, it was the only way I could meet all of my students' diverse needs and uh, really strengthen my instruction. And, and a lot of that came through the use of video, which is a big part of what we talk about. It's one of the main ways to be able to do this model, but it's that blended learning experience. And really how I had an epiphany um, earlier, about this time last year, uh, as we talked about this idea of blended learning, even though everything is on virtual. And I think, TJ, that epiphany happened when I was in a conversation with you and we started talking about you know, synchronous and asynchronous. The, the original definition of blended learning, and this is where we kind of go against the grain, is that it's a bricks and mortar in-person experience and then there's online and you know the offline happens in the bricks and mortar and the online happens of course online and asynchronously you know for the learner and we really expand those two realms into four and thinking about you've got synchronous and asynchronous online and offline you can combine those four different modalities in really unique ways to make a really integrated experience. So while the cohort is fully online and materials come to you virtually and we engage virtually in our live sessions, we are doing things synchronously and asynchronously. And I also um, advocate for taking this approach in our coaching, our team collaboration, even the PD that we might facilitate as coaches and instructional leaders, because it makes so much more sense. Honestly, it's a big task to be able to provide individualized support, differentiated support to everyone in our building or in our district. And honestly, if you're trying to do it all face-to-face, -face, it just can't happen. You really do have to take a blended approach to your work. So while um, I may be able to walk into a teacher's classroom and see some in-person live instruction synchronously, that may not be the best use of my time. If I could instead use video to record that live instruction give myself an opportunity to view that video and process some key things I might want to ask, as well as the teacher to see themselves and get prepared, process that information a little bit more. So that way, when we, I 
get a chance to meet that teacher face-to-face, in-person, or online, with that synchronous or real-time engagement is the most powerful use of our time. We've both had a chance to look at the instruction and think about what, you know, what went well, what are some areas we might want to focus on. And now I, I get to build rapport with my teacher. I get to have that conversation, think out loud a little bit more deeply, create a follow-through plan, which is something a lot of coaches say they struggle with. They struggle with, after they set a goal, the follow-through piece of that and really being able to support teachers. And then that asynchronous, that's really that job embedded piece where I might, you know, read my book if I'm a member of the cohort, but I'm also asynchronously going and applying these ideas into my own coaching scenarios or my own team leadership scenarios for my teacher in a coaching cycle. That's where they are applying some of those ideas and strategies live in the classroom and then meeting with me synchronously later on to talk about it. So it really, when we take this blended approach to whatever the professional learning experience is, coaching, PLCs, PD sessions, we really give ourselves so much more flexibility to design meaningful engagements and experiences that not only support people better, but have a greater emphasis on practice and reflection, right? It it meets those needs of that job embedded so much better. And it's, again, it's not just in person or online. There's no in between. It's really thinking about that online and offline synchronous and asynchronous in some unique ways to be flexible in the design. Yeah, the the thing that I like about it is that you have the word integrated here listed on the screen. And that, I think, is a um, a good opposition to what I've seen in a lot of digital instruction uh, you know, Corey, you and I both have a background in digital learning. And um, when I watched uh, both professional de- development designers and um, uh, teachers try and create a blended learning experience, uh, it was often segregated, not integrated. So it was more like, okay, you're going to go online and you're going to do this stuff. And then we're going to come together and we're going to do this stuff. And there's no relationship between the two of them. And it's just these segregated experiences where there's no reference between one and the other. And that's not really blending. That's Yeah. That's, you know, or the other approach of, well, we ran out of time today. So the rest you're going to just do on, on your own, right? Like it's, right. that'll all be homework. And then now we've got through that content, we can go to the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, really so being intentional. Within the context of professional learning specifically, thinking about as a learning designer, what am I doing in this in-person coaching conversation that may happen in Zoom or may happen in a classroom? It's kind of irrelevant where it happens in terms of the the actual space, whether it's digital space or physical space, but what am I doing in this live synchronous conversation that both references back to some sort of Mm -hmm. asynchronous interaction and forecasts forward into another asynchronous interaction. Uh, You know, I think about it kind of as a Mobius loop, right? Where the online and the offline spaces are really referring to one another and you're seeing less of a, um, of of just sort of a, okay, now, now leave here and go into the LMS and participate in this discussion feed or watch this resource or read this thing um, you know, and then when we come back to again, together again, then we'll talk about it. Well, there's no reference to the, dis- to the discussion feed mm-hmm. in 
in the live conversation and anything back and forth, how best to design that. And that's something that in the cohort, I know I've seen you've designed a really great experience that models blended learning. And in fact, I'll put in the comments below after the episode, uh, a link to a video that sort of walks through how you're empowering that learning with Sydney, which is really, really cool to me. Um, and I think something really, really cool. So yeah. Corey, um, I, I, I know we're gonna give people an opportunity to learn more about the cohort itself. Um, you can go to info.sydney.com backslash cohort to learn more about it. But uh, do you have any sort of final thoughts about the cohort experience that you wanna talk about as we wrap up our conversation today? Yeah, I, you know, we are looking at doing a lot of cohorts. We've got some organizations that have reached out to us that want to do some exclusive cohorts just for the folks in their organization. We're also looking at creating some, for lack of a better term, open enrollment cohorts where we'll have coaches and instructional leaders from all over the country, maybe even all over the world, participate in that cohort experience together. That's the thing that we haven't talked much about yet, but I think is so powerful is this isn't one-on-one. -on -one. And one-on-one -on -one is extremely, you can't beat a one-on-one -on -one individualized experience, but this is a cohort experience which brings its own set of pros in that while I may not, um, you know, be working with a teacher. You know, my teacher's going, things are going great. They're one of the best coaches that, that that I could be working with. I'm having a fabulous experience. Another cohort member might be working with a more resistant teacher. And I'm that's going to be my reality at some point, right? They're not all going to be the, the most ideal situations. And so we get to learn from each other's experiences in the cohort. In our live sessions, a lot of time is talked about what is this looking like in practice? What are you coming up against? What hurdles have you, um, you know, you've hit a wall or you've, you've managed to break through that wall, share that experience. And that's the thing that I think is so exciting. I get to learn from all of our cohort participants as well as they get to learn from each other. And in that same light, it's not just a cohort for coaches. It really is for any instructional leader. Like I said, we've had everywhere from teacher leaders, mentors, campus coaches, district coaches, coordinators, specialists, assistant superintendents, all sometimes in the exact same cohort. And those are sometimes the most exciting cohorts. We've had campus leadership teams coming, and they really get to talk about those roles and responsibilities and alignment. So it's been really exciting. We've got a lot of more, lot more opportunities for um, these cohorts next year, both if you're just looking to join yourself or if you're interested for your organization. So check out the link here and um, let us know if you've got questions, but it really has become my favorite reason for coming to work this past year. These cohorts has been really exciting. So I love Wonderful. all my work, but it's been fun. Well, Corey, thank you so much for uh, sitting in the hot seat today and for giving me the opportunity to host today's episode. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. Share this episode with your friends and colleagues, and also head on over to uh, the Learning Center to get access to not just the, uh, the takeaways for from this week, but also all of our coach replay uh, notes and tip takeaways to absolutely wonderful seasons of this show. Um, so lots of wonderful stuff there to, to check out. And uh, and Corey, thanks again. And and you'll be you'll be back in my in my seat next week for another exciting episode of the Coach Replay. Everybody have a great week. 